0: We would love to have you come tonight if you have not already signed up to the Introducing Hope class, but I do um, need to just lay everything out on the table. I think I'm actually in charge of dinner tonight, so just if that affects your decision, just kind of laying it out there. If you've already signed up, you have to come, even after hearing that. Um, I'm Derek. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't met you, I would love to. Maybe we can meet afterwards. Um, We are going to look at a passage in the Bible in Galatians chapter 5, excuse me, 6, Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, I was right the first time, uh, toward the end of Galatians. We're going to be in this passage kind of back and forth for the next few weeks. We'll, we'll, we'll dig in a little bit, an overview today, uh, then we'll, we'll take a break, then we'll kind of go back to it and dig in a little more, we'll take a break. We're gonna kind of be bouncing around this passage uh, over the next few weeks, kind of between now, really, and the time summer gets rolling. So um, great, great, great passage, great portion of Scripture. If you haven't, I would suggest go home this afternoon and really just meditate on the end of Galatians, if you want to read the whole book of Galatians, it's all really good. Um, The entirety of the book that I'm holding in my hand is all really good, so, you know, but uh, meditate on this because it's really a wonderful passage we're going to keep coming back to. All right, with that having said, open your Bible, if you've got it, to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, or you can follow along on the screen above. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We know, Lord, that we need Your Spirit to be at work in us if we are even to understand Your Word. And so we ask that Your Spirit would go to work now. Soften our hearts. Open our eyes. Let us see and hear and know You. And in doing so, Lord, we might know Your grace and Your love, and we might respond to it with worship, with love and service. Lord, show us who belong to you, how to walk with you today. We pray in the name of Christ, amen. Uh, those of you who have uh, seen the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, or maybe you you read the, the short story or the novella by Stephen King that it's actually based on, may remember the character Brooks Hadlin. Brooks is kind of the elder statesman in uh, in the prison, so Shawshank Redemption is a story about a prison and about um, an eventual escape from prison, but it's really dominated by the relationships in the prison. And Brooks is kind of the gentle old librarian of the, pr- of the prison. Everybody likes him. He rolls around the book cart um, and gives everybody their books. And he has been in prison for 50 years. And at one point in the movie, he actually makes parole and he's released. And it really kind of begins to deal with this question, what does it look like to deal with your freedom? What does it look like for somebody who's been in chains, you know, who's been bound, who's been in prison for 50 years to then just kind of have to change and live in the free world? And for Brooks, it's hard. He struggles with what living kind of in his freedom looks like. In fact, he eventually takes his own life because he just can't get used to this new life. Now, I think that question is a good one for Christians as well. What does it look like for us to live in freedom? Last week at Easter, we celebrated that Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins, that he rose to give us new life, and that the combination of those things actually gives us freedom from our major enemy, ourselves, our sin. Our bondage to our own sin, Jesus has freed us. He has given us new life. He has opened up the door and taken off our chains so that we might be free. But what does it look like to live in that freedom? What does it mean to live as free people? We're going to eventually answer that from Galatians 5, but first we're going to dig in to some problems. Because before we get to the solution, we actually have a lot of things that get in our way here. Here's problem number one, is that most of the time, we're not even sure what freedom is. We're not always even sure what the word or the concept of freedom really means. If you think about this in political terms, you can actually see the difference in the way that freedom is even thought of in the left and the right-hand side of the political spectrum. Generally speaking... On the left-hand side of the political spectrum, freedom is the ability for people to be more involved in the governing of their group, right? So, the freedom to vote, the freedom to be involved in making the decisions that will affect the group that they're a part of. But if you swing over kind of to more of the right-hand side of the political spectrum, freedom is actually thought of a little bit differently. When people talk about freedom, they talk more about the ability to exercise their own individual rights, to do the things that they want to do, to be freed from governance in a lot of ways. I mean, think about these two two billboards that I have seen. One says, Medicare for all, health care is a right. It's about health care, and it's about freedom. Now, consider this billboard. It's not the government's job to protect my health, it's their job to protect my freedom. Also about health care, also about freedom, but they come from radically different understandings even of what freedom is, don't they? You know, the same is true in the church and the same was true in the Galatian church. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a church in the first century in a town called Galatia and they had a tough time understanding what freedom was too. And the things that they struggled with were these kind of two options that were laid out to them. Option one is what freedom actually means, to be a Christian means, is that you go back to the Jewish law and customs. And to be free means you're free to be bound, really, by the law. And so you adopt all of those customs. You try to do exactly what not only God's written law, but the tradition of the rabbis and the elders has actually laid out in order that you might somehow become free. That's option one. Option two for people was completely reject all of that and just do whatever I want to do. Freedom means I am unconstrained completely. Freedom means I get to kind of follow my own passions and my own desires. See, the people in the first century in Galatia had a hard time even understanding what freedom was. I think we can relate. We can feel those same things. We feel the same tensions that maybe we earn our freedom by obeying or maybe we cast off any sort of constraints and that's how we're free. So there's the first problem for us understanding how to walk in freedom is that we're not totally sure what freedom is. Here's a second issue, is that we can't run away from our own issues. Or let me say that a different way, is that the things that bind us go with us. The things that bind us actually follow us. I always find it kind of humorous whenever I go and visit somebody, whenever I go into a neighborhood that has a gated entry. And they're nice, it's very comforting, it feels good, but there is something that's a little ironic about it. Half the time, probably half the time that I drive through those gates, I'm following somebody else and I've never had to put in the code. The other thing is, most of those gates are only about 50 feet wide, and if you look over just a little too far, it's, there's nothing there. You could just walk right around it. If you really wanted to do harm, it's not all that hard to get over a gate. But the other deep irony about that is the idea that, you know what, the way to keep ourselves safe is to protect us from what's out there. The danger is out there. And if we could just keep whatever is out there from getting in here, then everything will be fine. But friends, (laughs) the danger is in here, the Bible says. The church father, Jerome, who lived in the fourth century, would oftentimes go out into the desert and spend time alone kind of out into the desert. And as he would recall it, some of the time he would have this wonderful communion with the Lord where it felt like he was having a meal with God incredible intimacy, but he said there were other times where he had dancing women all around him. That was his way of saying what he brought with him into the desert were his own lusts and desires because he brought his own heart into the desert. Even when we're alone, we're bringing our issues with us, aren't we? Maybe you've experienced this before. You get up early in the morning. You're excited to spend time with the Lord. And you open up the Bible, and as you are reading, you find your mind wandering to your own lusts or covetousness or greed while you're reading the Bible. Or you sit down to pray for somebody, and you feel yourself angry at the person you're praying for. Or you show up to serve on a Sunday morning, and you kind of develop this attitude of looking at those who aren't serving It's like, well, you're not doing what I'm doing. Not really an attitude of service, is it? And the truth is, we take with us our issues because we take our hearts with us. And the things that actually call us back into bondage are not out there. They're in here. We have more problems. Cheer up, it gets worse. Right? We have more problems, too. Problem three is that our issues don't just affect us, they affect others, too. When we deal with the sin in our own hearts, it doesn't just stay in our own hearts, does it? I mean, just think about the list that Paul that lists here, this list of all the terrible stuff. Some of it feels very personal, very individual, things like sexual immorality, right? That feels like, oh, that's just me, that's what I deal with. But look at the way that it actually affects others. Our sexual immorality actually plays itself out in broken promises, to those that we love. It plays itself out a dehumanizing activity toward people made in God's image. Our anger or our bursts of anger, you know, as Paul puts it here, actually have deep effect. In fact, they cause things like strife and rivalry and dissension. Our issues leak out into other people. When we were in London, Joy and I loved to kind of try and navigate the the subway system, the London Underground, and it was so fun. But sometimes you get on a a train or a bus or a subway like this, and it is packed with people. Now, if you have BO on the subway, that's your issue, but it's kind of our issue, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of leaks out into everybody, and it's our issue. So we don't just keep our issues, our problems, our own. They actually affect others. Those are big problems. How about this one? Problem four is that it's not possible to walk in freedom in our own power. Now we're really getting to the heart of it, aren't we? I read a story actually about a guy His name is Peter Simi. He's a sociologist, and he studies most particularly uh, white supremacist groups. And actually, lots of these groups have led him in to spend time with them, to study them. And one of his kind of major areas of focus is what happens to people that leave these groups. And he studied this one couple. There was one couple that was, for years, had been dedicated white supremacists. And then it just so happened, actually, that their daughter um, got sick, and the two doctors that cared for her in the hospital were both black. And it totally changed their mentality, their understanding of things. It actually uh, awakened them to see the error of their ways, and they both left the group, and they decided they wanted to reform their lives, and they decided they wanted to change. And for the most part, you did see change in their life. But this woman tells about a time one time where she was out getting fast food. And she pulled through the drive-thru and they had gotten her order wrong. So she came inside and she said, hey, you've gotten my order wrong. And the person that was kind of working the cash register, who was Hispanic, who didn't speak very good English, uh, either because she couldn't or because she didn't want to and was being rude at the time, refused to help her get it all resolved And it was in that point where it snapped and this woman's kind of what was bubbling up from inside her just came out and she began to swear and curse and yell at this woman, tell her to go back to her own country, said, uh, you know, literally raised, you know, a Nazi salute and started crying out these incredible, awful white supremacist cries. And then feeling the guilt and the shame of what she had done, she went back to her car and broke down weeping, wondering why did that happen? And Peter sent me this sociologist, the way he describes it is really interesting. He said, you know, to be a part of this kind of group actually is kind of like a drug addiction. It's kind of like an addiction, and most of the time, with people with addictions, they relapse. Maybe you've known somebody in your life like this. They have an addiction, maybe they know it, maybe they don't, but what they say in their mind is, you know what, I'm going to change. I can do it and I can do it all on my own, and I don't need any help, and I'm going to do it now. And usually, the response to that a few months later is, how'd that work out for you? Because it usually doesn't work out. We're not very good at getting our lives back together on our own. I spent this last week uh, with with a group of pastor friends. I'm in a a cohort together with uh, four other pastors. We We talk every week, and we try once a year to to get away together, and um, we dig into each other's lives, and we talk about our churches and our families and our own spiritual lives, and we usually try to do something together that's kind of a bonding experience together. And this week, we had spent some time at this lake house, and the owner of the lake house took us fishing. That was our thing that we did together this week, was we went fishing. And um, I'm just got to tell you, I'm not a great fisherman. And uh, we went fishing and we caught a lot of fish. And there's one reason why we caught a lot of fish it's because the guy driving the boat knew where the fish were. This guy actually grew up on this lake, he knew it like the back of his hand, he knew the bottom. Of the lake, okay? He knew what was under the water because he actually himself had like put things there. He had sunk trees for fish to swim in. He and his friends many years before had literally created fish habitats. And this guy knew it so well that he could tell you their are fish right, not, to, not two feet this way, but fish right there. You should drop your line right there and you should drop it at exactly this depth and you should use exactly this bait and you will catch fish. And he was right, we, we had on our calendar menu for that night, fish tacos. If it weren't for that guy, we would just have tacos because we wouldn't have had any fish to eat. I wasn't able to find the fish on my own. I wouldn't have caught a single thing if it weren't for him. I was completely dependent on his ability to find the fish because I'm not very good at it on my own. And the same is true for us spiritually speaking. We are not good at walking in the freedom that Christ has won for us on our own, and we are not called to it. And now we're finally at the solution, and is this: is that we are called to walk in freedom by walking with the Spirit. This is just, over and over when you dig into the Bible. What you find is that God knows our deepest problems and has them solved before we've figured out that they're a problem. All of these problems that we're looking for, the Lord actually knows and provides for us. God knows that I take my issues everywhere with me. God knows that I don't have any clue what real freedom looks like. God knows that my issues are going to spill over into your issues. God knows that I can't get my stuff together on my own. And here is the beautiful and wonderful truth. If you don't hear anything else, hear this this morning. God has given us his spirit to actually do the work that we cannot. He has given us his spirit so that we might be able to walk in the freedom in which he has called us to, the freedom that he has won for us in Jesus we talked about those ways that the Galatians would oftentimes think that freedom was to be won, right? It's, it's conform myself to the Jewish law, to hope that there's some way that I might act and obey that might make God give me favor so that I can continue to walk in the freedom he's called me to. That's option one, remember? Option two was throw it all off, cast it off, do whatever I want. Freedom means I have no constraints. But Paul gives us this beautiful third way here in Galatians 5. What he says is that, no, freedom looks totally different. What freedom looks like is actually not walking according to the law's requirements or walking according to your own desires, but what freedom looks like is walking with the Spirit. He says that at the beginning in verse 16. He says it again in verse 25, walk or keep in step with the Spirit. Now, There's actually a really uh, beautiful picture all throughout the Bible of what it means to walk with the Lord. If you open up the Bible from the very beginning, you actually find Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the garden. They have intimate relationship with Him. They are walking with Him, literally being with Him. But of course, sin, the fall of mankind in Genesis 3, broke that intimate relationship so that we no longer have the ability to walk in that kind of intimacy with the Lord face to face. And even though you see throughout the Old Testament, you see actually people that are are said to have walked with the Lord, people like Enoch and Noah and David, that intimacy is not the same. They're not walking with God in the same way that Adam and Eve were walking with God. But again, God knows our problems before we've even figured out that they're a problem, and so he does something about it. Even as early as Genesis 3, he gives this promise, this underlying promise to Eve to say that you will one day have an offspring that will crush this serpent's head, that I'm actually going to do something about the bondage you're in, and I'm going to free you from it. And when we open up the New Testament, we see that Jesus comes, God in the flesh, come actually to walk with us maybe better said, to walk for us, to obey the law in the way that we could never obey it, to walk with us. And then Jesus says something amazing in John 16. I read it earlier in our time of confession. Jesus tells his disciples, listen, listen, I'm going away, but it's good for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will convict you. And then Peter in Acts 2 says, let me tell you exactly what just happened on Pentecost Day, and let me tell you exactly what will happen for anyone who comes to Jesus, is that the Spirit of God actually will take up residence within them. The Spirit of God will actually walk with you. And we get here to Galatians 5, and we see Paul saying that the way to live in the freedom that we have been called into, the freedom that has been won for us by Jesus is to walk with the Spirit. We're going to dig in over the coming weeks to what that looks like, to what it looks like to have the Spirit actually go to work in our lives. But I just want to give you one little thing in closing, is that when the Spirit goes to work with us, when we walk with the Spirit, the Spirit actually produces fruit. Our lives begin to look fruitful, not because we figured out how to do it, Not because we figured out how to do it on our own or because we figured out how to obey all of the rules, but because God's Spirit is actually producing the fruit that we cannot. What does that look like? Well, it looks like love, patience, kindness, peace, joy, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit that begin to just not only take up residence in a Christian, but pour out of a Christian. There was a a story on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle not long ago about um, a bus driver, uh, a woman whose name is Linda Wilson Allen. And she was a bus driver, just kind of like most bus drivers. And if if most of you have been uh, ever on a city bus, it's usually not the most pleasant experience. But this bus was different because this bus driver was different. Um, people would tell stories of how she would get to know the names of the people on her bus, especially those who would kind of take it you know, often. And she'd get to know that their names and, and their families' names and their kids' names. She would wait for people if she knew that they were gonna be there and they were just late, and she would make up for the time later in her route. She, one time, they told of a, of a woman who was elderly and was carrying some grocery bags, and this woman literally parked her bus in front of the stop and got out and grabbed her bags and brought them into the bus for her. She, one time, saw a woman at the bus stop who just kind of looked lonely, and so she invited her to come to Thanksgiving dinner with her and her family. In fact, her life on this bus was so beautiful that other people started to kind of pour back into her. People would let her use their vacation homes. People would begin to bring her gifts. They'd bring her potted plants and flowers. They saw that she liked to wear, you know, along with her uniform, she liked to wear scarves. So they would bring scarves to her for her to wear. And this incredible community was built on this bus because the beautiful fruit of the Spirit, and yes, she's a Christian, was pouring out of her And spilling over everywhere and just getting messy and influencing everything. Remember how we said earlier, uh, what's in you, the issues you have spill out into others as well? Well, the same is true about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that the Spirit produces in you is also going to and is supposed to pour out and spill out into others so that what you end up with is something more beautiful than you could ever imagine. And I just want to end with this question. I'm going to ask you to do a little dreaming with me for a second. What would your life in your little world look like if the fruit of the Spirit were just leaking out of you, pouring out of you, falling off of your tree so that others were coming and seeing in this fruit and attracted to it and picking it up and eating it, and it was changing them? What would our community, what would our church look like if we were all keeping in step with the Spirit? This this word in Greek actually means to kind of walk following along behind in a line. So what's the image you have even of our church as we walk in lockstep with the Spirit and we see the Spirit's fruit growing in us and we see that fruit falling off into the world around us? What does our world look like? Dream about that. Meditate on that take it home. Talk about it. Talk about it with your family and with your community group because that is actually what God calls us to as we walk with him to see his fruit produced in us in ways that we could never imagine so that it changes the world. Let me pray that God would do that even for us now. Let's pray. Lord, these are... um, These are big things. (laughs) These are big things to dream about. What does it look like for you to produce fruit in us that we may not even be able to imagine? Lord, I think of myself and think, um, what would it look like, Lord, for my heart um, to be not selfish, but selfless? What would it look like, Lord, um, for my heart to, to not be anxious, but to be faithful? What would it look like, Lord, for my heart to be not suspicious or angry or even hateful, but loving? Lord, we ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, as we walk with you, that you would produce fruit. The kind of fruit that we can never produce on our own. And the harvest, the yield that is a hundred times more than what we could imagine. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to just invite you to take a few minutes to ponder those things, to dream, to reflect. It's also the time that we will take up our mornings, tithes, and offerings.